Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the downside effect of drugs. Sometimes people call it withdrawals. And it's important to know this because people that you think are high on drugs are actually going through withdrawals. And it's confusing when you get a toxicology report back and it shows a drug other than what you thought they were high on. I'll explain this phenomenon so that you can better spot people that are still affected by drugs, but not the way you think they are. Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves, a police officer who spent 28 years specializing in drug investigations and who regularly teaches law enforcement officers, private businesses, and concerned families on spotting and dealing with drug use. This podcast is the essential resource for both professionals and individuals who need practical help, advice, and insight. Now, here's your host, Keith Graves. Welcome back to episode two of the Drug Training Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Graves. In this episode, we're going to talk about the downside effect of drugs. The downside effect occurs when the drug metabolizes out of the body. So what's metabolization? It's complex chemical changes that alter drugs so that they can be eliminated from the body. So as an example, the body alters methamphetamine into amphetamine so they can be eliminated out of the body. Or cocaine. Cocaine's metabolite is benzolecanine. This is what the toxicology lab is testing for when you get your drug results back. So it's rare that you actually find a positive test for cocaine. If you did, you got them right after they had just used some cocaine. Instead, you'll probably see a positive test for benzolecanine. So a little side note, factors that affect metabolism include age, race, heredity, sex, health, emotional state, any other drugs that they've taken. So looking at what we just talked about, age, let's start with the first one, age. The oldest person I've ever arrested for being high on drugs is a 75-year-old woman. So her age definitely had an effect on her metabolizing drugs out of the body. The youngest person I've ever encountered that was high on drugs was an 11-year-old girl that was high on methamphetamine that her parents had given her. So obviously, again, with her, her age is going to have a factor in her body metabolizing drugs out of her system. And also like other drugs also have an effect on their metabolism. So as an example, I once had a guy that was under the influence of four different drug categories. He was under the influence of heroin. He was under the influence of meth. He had been drinking a lot of alcohol, had taken some Valium, and had been smoking some marijuana on top of that. So all of those drugs that he had taken has an effect on how his body metabolizes those drugs out of his system. So these detoxified substances are excreted out of the body through sweat, saliva, bile, feces, breast milk can excrete small amounts. Uh, As another example, I once had a homicide case where a mom was breastfeeding her her infant while she was smoking methamphetamine. So obviously not a, a good outcome and a lot of people kind of forget about that. Let's go back to the downside effect of the drug. The downside effect occurs when the drug metabolizes out of the body, but the body doesn't return to normal. The body experiences the opposite effect of the drug. So best example that I can give is a heroin addict that doesn't have the drug left in their system. Normally when they're high on heroin, they'll have a slow pulse, constricted pupils, meaning their pupils are are small. They'll have slow respirations, meaning they're not breathing very fast, and they have slow raspy speech. But when they're experiencing the downside effect of the drug, now they're going to have a fast pulse, their pupils might be dilated, and they might be appear hyper. In 2008, the community that I work in experienced a significant increase in people doing heroin and opiate pharmaceuticals. All of a sudden, overnight, we had people that were going through withdrawals, but when you encountered them, it looked like they were high 
on a stimulant like methamphetamine or cocaine. But the difference was, is that you saw that they were actually very sickly and it looked like they were ready to throw up. Sometimes they were throwing up. Uh, They had very bad diarrhea. And you can just imagine the worst flu you've ever had, but multiply that by 10. And that's what these people were experiencing. So when you took a closer look at them, you can see they were actually sick and they were experiencing the downside effect of their heroin high. Methamphetamine is another good example. When people are high on methamphetamine, they have a fast pulse, fast respirations, dilated pupils, meaning their pupils are big, they're hyperactive. But when they're on the downside effect of the drug, meaning the drug has left their system, they have a normal pulse, slow respirations, and they're usually asleep. Another good example for that is if you've ever gone to serve a warrant on somebody, and I think back to a a gentleman that I had that we had a warrant for his arrest, and he was going to go back to jail for quite a while. And when we served the warrant, he was asleep on a couch. We were waking him up, trying to get him alert, and he knew he was going to jail. He acknowledged that we were there, but he kept going back to sleep. He was experiencing the downside effect of his methamphetamine use. He was experiencing the opposite of what that drug that he favored presented. You can have the downside effect with any drug that is addictive, even marijuana. So the next question I always get is, are they under the influence if they're on the downside effect of the drug? Well, the Drug Recognition Expert Program, for which I'm an instructor for, they used to say no. And a lot of us didn't agree with that. However, a few years ago, they didn't about face, and now they're acknowledging that, yes, they are under the influence when they're on the downside effect of a drug. So another good example of that is a crash that I had a few years ago. I had a guy that was withdrawing on heroin, so he's on the downside effect of heroin, and he crashed, and it was a bad crash. He overturned his vehicle, hurt somebody else very badly, and he ran from the scene. We caught him pretty quick, and I evaluated him, doing a drug recognition eval on him. And it was very clear that he was experiencing the downside effect of heroin. His pupils were dilated. His speech was really fast. His pulse was racing. He had all the signs of what you would think was a stimulant. But when you look at him closely, you saw the injection marks. You saw heroin paraphernalia in his possession. And he had admitted that he had been withdrawing from, from heroin. That crash never would have happened if he was not withdrawing from heroin. If he had never done drugs, that crash never would have happened. But because he was experiencing the withdrawal effects of that drug, and it was having an effect upon his central nervous system, that's the important part, it was having an effect on his central nervous system, that crash happened. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and arrest everybody that is going through withdrawals. You're the one that's going to have to testify in court. You're the one that has to make the decision. You have to abide by your agency policy, the law for your jurisdiction, case law for your jurisdiction, and what your prosecuting attorney wants. I'm just merely giving you an example of how somebody might be under the influence even though they're withdrawing. So in a nutshell, the downside effect, they're going to experience the opposite effects of their particular drug. If they're addicted to heroin and they experience the downside effects of heroin, you're going to see stimulant type influence, meaning fast pulse, dilated pupils, the exact opposite of what you would expect from somebody under the influence of heroin. On the stimulant side, it would look like they're under the influence of an opiate or a depressant. Okay, those tones, just like last week, those represent uh, be on the lookout. Every officer hears those tones before the dispatcher puts out important information they want, they want everybody to listen to. It's called a bolo. And we take this opportunity during the drug training podcast to talk about an article that might have appeared or some newsworthy event that we want to discuss in the podcast. So in this episode, I want to take time out for a article that was put on Facebook by a Facebook page called Drug Enforcement Cops. They put out an article that titled, 
Here's what $715 million in cocaine looks like. Great headline. It really grabs your attention. It certainly grabbed my attention. When you read the article, it says that more than 26 tons of cocaine worth at least $715 million have been brought ashore in Florida following multiple recent seizures by the U.S. Coast Guard and the Royal Canadian Navy in the Eastern Pacific. Now, we're going to break that down a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But 26 tons, it's worth $715 million. Where did they come up with that number? How did they come up with the price and the value of the drugs that they seized? All right, so this came from 27 separate vessel interdictions and five bail recovery operations off Central and South America over the past three months. Pallets containing the drugs covered the entire flight deck of the 418-foot Coast Guard cutter Hamilton. By the way, good job, Cutter Hamilton. That is great stuff to see. Now, how do they come up with that price? So the United States Coast Guard says 26 tons was worth $715 million. So let's break that down. That means each ton is worth $27.5 million. That is $30,250 per kilo. So depending on where you live, a kilo is anywhere from $19,000 to $30,000. So it kind of looks like the Coast Guard is using the price by the kilo. But for the real price, you should look at the user price, the end user. The end user is going to buy a gram of cocaine. And depending on where you live, the price is anywhere from $30 to $100 for a gram of cocaine. So let's look at the gram price for the value of that coke. So we're going to use the price of $80 per gram since that's what it costs in most urban areas. That seizure of 26 tons is the equivalent of 23,586,000 grams recovered total. So when you look at that 23.5 million grams recovered, the purchase price at the end user is actually $1.9 billion. $1.9 billion. So there's multiple ways to say how much dope you got is worth when you're reporting it to the public. So you need to be careful about what you hear. It's all how the person writing the press release wants to express how much the drugs are actually worth. All right, that's it for this week's episode. I want to ask that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whichever service you use. I appreciate the feedback that I'm getting from you guys. This is what motivates me to keep doing this. So whatever feedback that I can get from you, I would really appreciate it. Do you have questions about drug enforcement or drugs in general? Do you got a burning question about a particular drug? Then email me. You can email me at podcast at onlinedrugtraining.com. Let me know how the podcast is going. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to visit our blog, The Briefing Room, at onlinedrugtraining.com. And don't forget, you can always get more information on our online courses at onlinedrugtraining.com. That's it for this week. Be safe. Thanks for listening to The Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves. We'd love to hear your comments and respond to your questions in future episodes. Visit our accompanying website at www.onlinedrugtraining.com for more information, advice, training, and to get in touch. And join us again on the next edition of The Drug Training Podcast.